As Erin was saying, I'm Jill, and I'm the Grove Kids Director, and I'm so excited to be here with you again this morning. Um, I got to be in here a couple weeks ago when we talked about Zacchaeus. Um, we're in the middle of a series that's about relationships that are key to helping us navigate this complex world. We've talked about mentors and um, the community in which you live, and encouragers and protégés and butt kickers, because once upon a time, Moses really needed a push to get to be the man he was. Uh, and today, I get to talk about good friendships, which is really, really cool. Um, if you grew up in the church, you're really familiar with a lot of the big stories of the Bible. Um, however, if this church thing and studying the Bible thing is new to you, um, one of the coolest things about children's ministry to me, and I know it sounds like I'm plugging my ministry, but this is real, okay, is we cover the really basic, like, the big stories that help show kids God is big, and God is awesome, and this is what he did, and this is how much he loves you, and it kind of breaks it down to the nitty-gritty core of what we believe. Um, we don't have to get into big complex words like eschatology and sanctification, and James doesn't really use those verses or words, but he might talk about them, and we just don't know those are the big words. But children's ministry is one of the best places to get to know, like, this is what the Bible is about, and here's how it all fits into the big picture. And sometimes we miss that in grown-up church. So if you're like, man, I'd really like, like, Bible 101, you can totally come join me back in Grove Kids. Um, not a plug, although there are forms in your bulletin you could fill out. Um, but I'm excited because today we get to talk about a big story in the Bible. In fact, last week we talked about this story with the preschoolers, and it was about friendship, and so we made friendship bracelets, and it was so much fun. Um, and a few weeks ago I talked about Zacchaeus and how he was short and climbed a tree, and Jesus saw him. And then the next week our elementary students talked about that Bible story. So I'm like, yeah, the kids and grown-ups, we're learning together. Um, so we're going to do a little bit of a history lesson. Uh, last week, James talked about Moses and then how he was followed by Joshua and how Joshua somewhat failed to develop a leader behind him. And so the Israelites, which are God's people, and they formed their nation, um, they kind of were left without good leadership. Well, God really wanted to set his people apart to be different than the other people that you would see and the other nations that surrounded them, which is a lot of why he gave them specific rules for how to honor him, how to behave. I mean, there are a lot of rules that we look at and go, that's kind of crazy. But so much of it was to show these are God's people as opposed to all these other people who worship so many different gods. So God had set his people apart, and instead of giving them kings, they had judges. And these judges served the role of guiding the people through crisis, of relaying messages from the Lord, helping with legal matters. And there's even a book of the Bible, Judges, because it's Genesis and Exodus, which so Genesis is the beginning, Exodus is when they're in exile, Leviticus and Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth, and then... First and Second Samuel, First and King, and then I can't remember the song anymore from elementary school, Sunday school. Some of you might have a song in your head right now too. Um, but so they had these judges, and the people in Israel were fairly whiny people, and they tended to look at their lives and go, "This isn't what we wanted. God, we want what they have." They were very grass is always greener on the other side kind of people, so they didn't like that they didn't have a king. They wanted a king, and all they had were judges and priests and prophets, and it wasn't good enough for them. So they were like, we want a judge or a king. We don't want a judge. And Samuel, at the time, was a really well-known prophet, respected by the people, loved, and he loved the Lord. Um, if you're familiar with the story of Hannah, who prayed 
to God for a baby because she didn't have one. And she went to the temple, and the priest saw her praying, just her mouth moving and no sound, and he was a little concerned about her. Um, But when he found out what she was wanting was a baby, he told her, go home, you're going to have a baby. And so sure enough, she has Samuel, and then she had promised to give her son to the Lord into his service. So there's Samuel, and he goes to the temple, and she gives up this baby she wanted. And Samuel serves the Lord and honors the Lord, and people love him. And so they go to Samuel saying, we want a king. And Samuel goes to God and is like, they want a king. And God tells him, you tell those people, if they want a king, a king is going to make them join his armies. He's going to make them fight his battles. He's going to make them plow his fields and work for him. And it's not fun. You don't want a king. So Samuel went and told the people, and the people said, but we want a king because they were nuts. And so, they just, so God was like, okay, I'll give them a king. And so he leads Samuel to this man named Saul, who came from a very insignificant family, um, although Saul was handsome, and he was a head taller than everybody else, but he was very shy and meek, and he didn't consider himself qualified. So God tells Samuel, this is the person that's to be your king. So Saul becomes anointed, and this Saul is different than the New Testament Saul who we talk about who hated Christians, killed Christians, and then came to know Jesus and then wrote most of the New Testament. Two totally different men with the same name. So here we have King Saul, handsome, tall, from an insignificant family, humble, and he gets this role of being the first king of Israel. Well, before long, Saul lost favor with God because he didn't obey God, and it was shown that being able to just say, I worship you, Lord, is not as important as actually obeying the Lord. So God gave Saul an evil spirit to torment him. I mean, seriously, do you think the Old Testament's boring? Um, Go read 1 Samuel, because it's not boring. Um, If you have, like, a 10-year-old boy who's convinced the Old Testament's boring, let them read 1 Samuel. I mean, people are getting killed, and they're cutting up ox to show what's going to happen, and, I mean, it's fascinating. Um, Unless you don't like war, don't read 1 Samuel. Um, So Saul loses favor with God. And God gives him this evil spirit to torment him. And when Saul gets tormented, the only thing that will soothe him is music. Well, around this time, there's this shepherd boy named David. And God tells Samuel, because Saul has lost favor with me, go anoint this shepherd boy to be my future king. So David gets anointed. There's still Saul as the king. Saul's tormented. He needs some nice music. And they know of this boy who's a good musician and handsome, so let's bring him in. So here's David, the future king of Israel, coming into Saul's palace, whatever that looked like, and playing music for Saul to help calm him down. And pretty soon after that, David would go between calming Saul, going out to his fields and helping his dad, and he'd be back and forth. And one day he comes back, and Saul and his men are facing off against the Philistine army, and there's this giant who is hurling insults at God's people, and everybody is scared to death of him. Can you tell where I'm going with this? And this David is like, why are you guys doing this? I'm going to go fight him. So he takes a sling and a stone and single-handedly takes down the man the entire army is scared of. And Saul's like, wow, who's this kid? He's pretty great, you know? And that's this relationship with how David fits into Saul and how they came together. And here we have the king and the future king. And then David meets this friend of his. And this is where we get to read in the Bible about one of the most significant friendships you can ever read about. And we're going to go ahead and open up our Bibles to 1 Samuel 18, now that we've got our history out of the way and our context. I mean, you guys really, you just got like Israel 101 right there. That's pretty exciting. So, 1 Samuel 18. 
after David had finished talking with Saul, so like that's just right after he killed Goliath, Saul's figuring out who he is. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. And Jonathan is Saul's oldest son, so he's next in line to be the king. Um, And Jonathan loved David as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. I mean, they like success, you know? Uh, When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the woman came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. And they danced and sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? Dun, dun, dun. Uh, And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with David, but but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men, And David led the troops in their campaigns, and everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. So at the beginning of this passage, we see the connection between David and Jonathan, and it's described as they're one in spirit, and Jonathan loved David as himself. And he uses some language that most of you guys probably wouldn't use to talk about your friends these days. I mean, this is almost like the equivalent of a girl being like, oh, she's my bestie. And there's Saul and David who are like, he's my bestie. It's not weird, okay? It's culturally normal. Like, they were just really good bros. Um, their connection was super deep, okay? I'm not insulting you guys and your friendships. What I'm saying is you normally probably wouldn't be like, I love him as myself. We are one in spirit. It's not weird, so we don't need to get hung up on that, okay? So Jonathan here gives David a covenant, which means he's pledging loyalty and he's pledging friendship and he's accepting David as his equal. So here Jonathan is, first in line to the throne according to what the people are seeing, and he's the son of the king, and here's David, who's just this shepherd boy who's mighty in battle, but he's here to play the music to calm the crazy man down. Like, they aren't normally what you classify as equals, but Jonathan is saying, you are my equal. And he gives David these gifts of protection and status, and it's possible that these gifts even signify that he's saying, I know you'll be king instead of me. So there's a lot of significance here in that. So right after they pledge this friendship, David turn, or Paul, Saul turns against David, um, and then the chapter goes on to describe how David became even more successful, and David became even more loved, and then that leads us up to verse 29, which says, Saul became still more afraid of him. It remained his enemy the rest of his days. So there's never going to be peace between Saul and David. Uh, we're going to go ahead and move on to 1 Samuel 19, 1 through 6. We have lots and lots of verses today because I love the Bible, and this is a great story. So in this, David and Jonathan have been good friends, and Saul's anger is growing towards David, and um, then it comes to the point where Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. 
But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. That wasn't the first time Saul made a promise that he didn't keep. It's definitely not the last time. Um, But here it is. Saul has told David, or Saul has told Jonathan, go kill David. He's saying, go kill him. And Jonathan loves his friend and stands up to the king and is like, no, he's a great guy. You don't want to do this to him. Think of all the wonderful things he's done. I'm like, if I had seen Saul go crazy, I don't think I would feel like going up against him and telling him, no, 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 the guy's good. You don't know what you're talking about. So somehow Saul listened to his son, and he decided not to kill David at that time. Well, then we go on because Saul's anger is, or his peace is not very long, short-lived. Um, in, verse, in chapter 20, verses 1 through 4, it says, Then David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? Never, Jonathan replied. You are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It isn't so. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. And Jonathan said to David, Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. Here's David struggling to understand why Saul hates him so much. And he's like, Jonathan, I don't really trust you right now because... How do I know your father's not going to keep it a secret from you? Like, your dad knows how good of friends we are. Like, he's going to now go tell you I'm plotting to kill your best friend. So Jonathan and David are like, let's do this. And Jonathan is risking for David. And there's this roller coaster of Saul, like, hating, hating, or happy, 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 hating, hating, hating. And it's just this constant roller coaster. And David's going, I don't know what to do with this. But then Jonathan responds with, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Once again, he's saying, I value you over my rightful place to my father, over the role that my father has, over this grudge my dad is holding against you. So then we move on to 20, verses 12 to 17. Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time, the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed toward you, will, will I not send word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely. If I do not let you know and send you away in peace, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies into account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as himself. 
In these verses, Jonathan is fully aligning himself with David. He is saying, let David's enemies die, which means he's asking for that for his father. Like, he knows that. And then once again, we're reminded just how much Jonathan loves David, that he loves him as himself. And the story goes on to even tell about how Saul became angry again. And he points out that as long as David is alive, Jonathan will never be king. And Jonathan keeps getting faced with this place of, your brother or your best friend will become greater than you. And normal people probably aren't excited about the fact of their rightful position, their rightful place, all of that being taken away by their best friend or even someone they don't care about. So then we look at 1 Samuel, again, 20, 41 to 42. And at this point, David and Jonathan, you know, had had this sign of communication of how to know whether David is safe or whether he should flee. And so this boy has come and taken, been the messenger that he doesn't know because they're shouting messages to each other. It says, After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to town. So this is because there was no hope for David being able to live if he was anywhere near Saul. So they're sending him away, and they're saying goodbye, and it is tearful. And David knows the value and how precious this friendship with Jonathan is. Like, he is weeping. And, I mean, we know if we read the Psalms, David's a very emotional person. I mean, I feel like I can connect deeply with him for that. But he's just, like, his friendship is getting torn from him, and he knows that his friend has put him first, and he's sacrificed for him. And it's absolutely precious. And then we see only one more time where David and Jonathan interact. Um, I mean, they may have interacted one more time, but this is the last time that's recorded. So in 23, verses 16 and 17, it says, and at this point, David's in hiding. So he's gone into hiding. He's hiding from Saul. Saul's chasing him. David's collecting men along the way because people love David. And Saul's taking his men, and they're spending this time just playing chase. And David is hiding, and Saul's pursuing. So Jonathan, and Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horish. So here's David in hiding, and he's discouraged, and he's worn out, because this is just like oppression after oppression after oppression. And Jonathan goes to him, and he gives him strength in the Lord. Like, he helps him find that place that he needs to be, and he tells him, you will be the king. I'm second to you. And he totally encourages him and lifts him up. And it means humbling himself and wanting success for his friend, even if it means lessening for himself. We see that David goes on and he keeps hiding and then he starts fighting battles and Saul keeps doing his thing and it's a lot more war and sneakiness and spying. And there's even two times where David has the opportunity to kill Saul. Um, this is one of our favorite stories with kids because Saul goes to the bathroom in a cave and it takes a while because he needs some privacy. And David sneaks up and he's able to cut off part of Saul's robe to show I was right there with you and I could have killed you, but I didn't. Because all along David keeps honoring the fact that God had anointed Saul, so he's not going to kill this man. So it's this game of back and forth and back and forth. And then finally there's a battle where three of Saul's sons are killed, including Jonathan. And Saul realizes what's going to happen, so he kills himself. And finally Saul is done 
and Jonathan has died, and word comes to David, and he's told about this. And first, he cries over Saul's death. The man who pursued him and wanted to kill him and hated him, he cries over that, but then he laments over the loss of his friend. And he weeps because Jonathan had been such a true, true friend to him. Like the language in it when you read about it is about this fondness and this connection and this depth of friendship that he's like, it's even better than what I would have with my wife. And it's not weird, it's precious. And it shows that Jonathan was this true friend. He was a soul friend who connected deeply with David. They were heart to heart, like they loved each other. And Jonathan was willing to give up anything for him. Um, This is where we see that biblical definition of this is a true friend. You know, like nowadays we might be like, this person is my people. Like, they get me. They're in there for me. They're going to fight for me. And so what we see in a Jonathan is that they believe in you when no one else does, you know? They see that potential. They say, I'm going to be here beside you, whatever might happen. And they're loyal, even when you make it hard, when you have those ugly moments. They're still there with you, and they don't hold it against you. They're the first person you call when things are good or when things are bad. They give, you, give to you and give to you and give to you with no exception of payment um, in return, or expectation of payment in return. Um, they walk with you in all seasons, whether it's the good seasons or the bad seasons. Um, they keep you in check when you want what you can't have. They stick with you even when you take them for granted. They defend your life's meaning even when you don't see what that might be. And they sacrifice for you even when they know that you're going to become greater than them. They, This is like, wow, I want that kind of friend. Um, And it's hard because it's easy to confuse a true friend with a best friend. But when we look at the Bible and what God has to say about favoritism and how he doesn't show favor to any particular people, you know, God, I mean, he showed favor, but it's not that anyone is his favorite and we don't have that distinction. When we look at our friend and we define one person as my bestie, that means they're having to fill so many different roles for you and they're probably going to fail at some point. Um, Like when I think about it, like I am probably not your fun friend. Like there's people who are way more fun than me. Um... I'm serious. I mean, I think I'm funny sometimes, but then there's people who are way, way more funny than me. But I can be your friend who's going to encourage you, you know? And so I have friends who are my fun friends, and I have people who are my hang out with kids friends, and I have people who are my, like, life sucks, and I don't know how I'm going to get through this friend. And I have my uplifters, and I have my people who are checking in on me, and I have all these different roles in my life. And if I were to put, like, this is my bestie, that's putting a whole lot of expectations on them. Because honestly, this true friend holds a really special role, and it's a God-given role, and it's unique, and it's wonderful, and it's needed. But they may not fill all the other roles for me. I mean, David and Jonathan weren't with each other day in, day out, and doing life together, and being able to finish each other's sentences necessarily, or watching TV together, um, if they had TV. But it's this true friend who is connecting with your heart and your soul, and is going to be there with you. Um, a true friend is hard to find, though. Like, some of you might be like, yeah, that's great, Jill. I know the Bible says I should have a true friend, but I don't have a true friend. Um, we've had seasons of loneliness in my life where I feel like, like, I remember specifically going, I feel like I'm loved by a lot of people, but I'm only known by very few. Like, I don't have those people who go, I want the best for you, and I want to push you to it, because I don't, didn't feel like anyone knew what that would even be. And I would watch these groups of friends, and I would be like, don't they know how awesome I am? Like, don't they want to come be my friend? Like, 
I'm really cool. And, you know, and I'm watching them like, they have this neat connection. Why am I not in on that? And um, at our last church, we finally ended up coming here because Nolan and I were like, we're not feeling community, you know? We were plugged in. We were at Bible study, at life groups, volunteering, every event, coordinating things. I had been on staff, but we were like, we don't have that sense of community. And part of that was because we were a half away, hour away from the church. And we decided to come look for a church here in Albany where we could be invested and find community. And so we came to the Grove with that whole purpose of this is where we're going to find community. And thankfully, there's really great teaching and worship to go along with it. Um, but we came our very first Sunday. It was Father's Day Sunday, so we got donuts. And that was back when we did voodoo donuts. So it was like, hmm, we like this church. Um, but we had this intention of we're going to jump in. You know, we're going to get involved. And we were like six months into it. People were like, oh, you've only been here six months. You've gotten so plugged in. We're like, yeah, because otherwise what was the point of coming? Like, we have come here for community. And I had once heard this talk where they're like, you can show up at something and you can have a here I am mentality or I am here. And the here am I or here I am is sitting there in the corner and going, here I am. Who's going to come to me? Like, is anyone going to come say hi? And I mean, and granted, people, we need to look for those people. We need to find them and we need to go to them. But our perspective was, I'm going to be, I am here. Like, I am here to meet people and connect with people and get to know people. And I'm going to introduce myself even if I look like a nutcase. Because trust me, you should see me at the bus stop. People give me weird looks. You know, I'm like, hey, our boys are friends. Can I get your phone number so we can have a play date? And this mom is like, we live in Oregon. Like, we don't talk to people here. And like, I mean, I even texted a mom that I got her number, and she gave me the weird look, and she hasn't replied. And I've had to be like, I'm sorry, Jay, some moms think I'm crazy. Like, because we were like, here, I'm here, and I'm going to connect and get to know people. I mean, we joined a life group. Nolan helped pick up chairs, because guys, that's a great way to meet people. Um, girls, too, but the guys kind of are able to carry five chairs at a time, and I'm like, here we go. Um, but it's this, like, let's find ways to connect. I joined a life group. Then I hovered at the table during life group signups, and I'm like, hey, you guys seem really nice. Do you want to come join our life group? Like, come be a part of things. So it's this, like, let's reach out and let's connect and pour ourselves in. And that was huge for us with trying to find those deeper friendships because how are we supposed to ever go deep and find our Jonathans if we're sitting at home wishing they would call? Because you have to take the first step to build the next step, to build the next step in connection and depth of friendship. Um, we even, I've been having my Facebook memories pop up, and three years ago, my lung decided to collapse because I'm special like that, and my lungs just collapse on themselves sometimes. And so I was in the hospital for two weeks. The first week was just waiting and on suction and seeing if it will repair itself. And then finally, um, two days ago was the three-year anniversary of when I was told, your lung's not repairing yourself, itself, you need surgery. And it was one of those moments where it's like, really? Like, we're not done yet. We've got another week ahead of us, a whole lot more pain ahead of us. And it just felt discouraging despite the fact that we'd had so many people loving on us and caring for us and checking in. And, you know, I got the conversation with the doctor at, like, 6.30 in the morning. Um, so I called Nolan, who's at book club. And that was one of those things here at the church that we decided to jump right into. Like, James had a Facebook status about, if you're a man and like to read, come join my book club. And I was like, Nolan, did you see his status? You should go. You'll meet people. Go get connected. You know, and he's like, he doesn't like being told what to do. Um, but he went, and so then he develops these friendships with these guys. So he's sitting there with them at Pops, 
where the food is subpar and the service is even less probably. But they're connecting. And he gets this call that his wife, who's been in the hospital, is needing surgery. <coughs> Excuse me, no offense if you love pops. Um, they go there every Tuesday morning. Um, so he's sitting there, and he gets this call about his wife. And he's with these men who are able to, like, be like, let me pray with you. you know, these are guys he respects. And guys he may not have reached a Jonathan level with yet, but they were headed that way because they were connecting heart to heart and having discussion about things they didn't agree with because they connect better that way. And, um, you know, they're like, we don't like reading books we agree with. What do we have to say about that? So let's find everything we don't like. Um, but they were able to pray with him and support him. And it brought tears to my eyes to go, he's being supported. He has people around him. And this husband of mine who hasn't really felt like he's had friends for so many years has a group that's there to support him. And that's what it takes to get there, to start finding those Jonathans. Um, I read, I was reading up in preparation for this and read this study from a clinical psychologist about how to get to that Jonathan level. And it's kind of like an elevator. You have to start at level one, okay? introverts, you hate level one because it's all about small talk. You know, how's the weather? So did you go on vacation this summer? Like you've got to reach, before you can ever go up to level two, you've got to start at level one. So it's these small talk connections. It's talking with people about the basics, the non-controversial stuff, um, the general, like, let's just kind of figure out who we are. And then when you reach that point, you know, sports, families, um, what was funny is he was like the state of the world. And I'm like, that's no longer level one conversation. <laughs> Not in this day and age in America. That's like level four. Um, but it's the general, like, feel it out. You know, I went to college, a small Christian college, and that was the what's your major conversation. Because <laughs> you're like, is this a potential husband? Business? Mm, I don't know about that. I want ministry. Um, I didn't marry anyone there, so it all worked out. But, um, you know, it's the level one stuff. And then when you've hit level one, then you can go up to level two. And level two is the acquaintance level, where you're starting to reveal some private sentiments, but you're not really like going there yet, you know? You're, this is where the guy was like, this is where you talk about religion, politics, marriage. And I'm like, no, not anymore level two. Um, I'd be interested to read a more recent study. Um, but it's the acquaintance level. And, you know, you might find at this point, I'm okay keeping you a level two. You don't have to be my people. And that's totally fine. I was listening to a podcast about a lady who moved to Nashville and knew two people when she moved there. And so she determined that in her first year of living there, if she wanted to find her people, she could never never say no to an invite. She was going to say yes to every single one. She's like, man, that killed me. But that's how I met new people. Like, how else are you supposed to meet them if you don't try level one and level two? And then you figure out, all right, I'll go to level three with you. Because at this point, at level three, it's when you're having some emotional vulnerability. You're having to get into some real feelings, and you're having to share more of who you are and how you feel, but you're still holding back a bit, okay? So you're finding your compatibility, you're having empathy, you're having mutual trust. Um, You're getting all that there, but you're not quite ready to go to the deepest, darkest place. And if it goes well at level three, then you'll push the button and go up to level four with that friendship. And that's intimacy. And that is coming clean about your dark side, admitting the ugly parts of yourself, Um, talking about your memories, your wounds, reflections that may not reflect so highly on you. Um, This is where you're like, I really hope they're going to love me anyways because I'm showing it all. This is where you are talking about the things that might be shameful to disclose. Um, Like, it's easy for me to think I'm vulnerable because I'm really good at sharing with people 
after I've processed something. Like, all right, I've gone through all of that. I've figured out how to explain it. I've put it in a neat and tidy package. It may represent an ugly side of me, but I've got it figured out. That I can share. The stuff that I'm in the midst of figuring out, the stuff that you're like, two weeks later, did I really say that? That was ugly. Like, that's the part of level four with that intimacy in your friendship. That's the level of sacrifice, of recognizing this person's going to love me even when they see my less than, ugly, the less than beautiful self. Like, the part of me that I don't want to brag about on Facebook and certainly don't take pictures of. Like, that's that intimate level and where that Jonathan comes in. And it's, the Jonathan was willing to pay the price for David. You know, he gave David time. He risked his life. He was there for David. He gave up stuff. And do you know what one of our biggest sacrifices would be in this day and age with those friendships, besides the vulnerability in your real self? It's time. Time's hard. A few years, two, last summer, I read the book Present Over Perfect, and I realized that I was so busy giving so much of myself all over the place that I didn't have the time to give to the friendships that mattered the most, you know? The people who were my people, who would hold me up and push me forward and listen and be there for me. I didn't have time for them because I was taking care of all my level ones, you know? And then I had level fours, but I couldn't give to them. And there wasn't the best of me to give to my family either because I was so spread thin. And so I had to consciously say, I'm not going to put myself out there as much. Like, I need to hold it in so that way the time that I do spend with people is valuable and it's invested. You know, and then, and I have kids. And that's hard. Like, they take up time. You know, big time. Um, this past summer, we've, or this summer, we've had, we had six weeks where our niece came and stayed with us. And it was similar to, like, a foster child situation where she comes from a lot of scarring situations. And so it was like we had to just hunker down and be like, we are here at home because going somewhere is hard. And, all this, and then when she went back home, it would breathe a sigh of relief, and it was like, man, I haven't talked to people like in six weeks, and I'm feeling this isolation, and I don't even know how to carry on a conversation anymore. Um, when Jace, my son, was born, I was at home, and I didn't have friends because that was my lonely stage, and I would watch the Today Show, and then Kathy Lee and Hoda, followed by Regis and Kelly, followed by The Chew, and then I kind of had an hour off, um, and then Ellen came on, I think. Like, it was that kind of, you know. Um, and then Nolan would come home from work. And all I'd have to talk about was, like, well, Regis said this today. And Ellen said this. And I had nothing to contribute. Because that's, I mean, my, the TV friends were all I had. And it was, like, then this summer, as I'm home with the kids, we were driving to a birthday party, just the two of us. And I was, like, I have nothing to talk about. This totally reminds me of when Jace was a baby, and all I can tell you about is, well, then Jace said this, and Reese did this, and Lily did that, and oh my goodness, what has happened to me? And I mean, we go through those phases, right? Like, life sucks you in sometimes, so we need to make sure we find a way to look for those Jonathans still, to find them, to let them grow, to have them be people who are like, you are in hiding right now, let me lead you back to God. Like, who are these people that can say, I'm going to lift you back up? You know, I had three play dates in a row this week with adult conversation, and it was beautiful. Um, after staff meetings, so four days in a row, I made up for those six weeks. Um, but it was like, you need those people, one of them who could share about her heart hurts, and I could go, it just feels good to be there for somebody right now. And others who I could share about my heart hurts, where I walk away going, I don't think I even asked them how they're doing. Um, we need those relationships in our lives. And the truth is, though, as lonely as we may get and as desperate as we are for them, and we might be watching for them and being discouraged when they don't come along, 
until we have found that right understanding of who God is and what he has to say about us, we'll never be able to be the right kind of Jonathan to someone else, all right? We need to know God loves us no matter what. We need to know that he is the one who defines who we are, that he says you are loved, you are forgiven, you don't need to carry shame. You know, Jesus is like, I love you, and I think you're wonderful, and I have that kind of relationship with you. Because we even see in Matthew, John, probably Matthew too, John, he tells us, greater love has, no lo- greater love has none of this than he who laid down his life for his friend. And then Jesus says, you are my friends. And so Jesus was the ultimate Jonathan by dying for us because he said, you have this much worth. And when we live in that place of love and we know we are so loved by him, we aren't desperately searching for other pieces of love. And we have more love to give to other people. And Lisa Turkers wrote this book, Uninvited. Um, Guys, you probably would hate it. But girls, you'd be like, oh my goodness, she gets me. Um, Just because it's a girly book. But... I was telling my husband really great quotes from it, and he was like, nice, that's great. Um, But she says in it that we need to live loved. Live from the abundant place of love so that you're not begging for scraps of love from others. Like when we live loved and knowing our identity in him and how much he loves us and what that says about us and our relationships, we aren't dependent on whether or not we have Jonathans. I mean, we want them. We need them. There's nothing wrong with going, I want a Jonathan in my life. But when we live in that knowledge of love and we live with that identity, then when those people come along, we have so much more to pour out. And we have such a healthier relationship with them from what we do get from them. And it's just this place of living loved. So this week, you may or may not have a Jonathan. Um, If you don't, I would encourage you to be like, where can I start at level one? Where can I meet new people? How can I increase my numbers of who I know? Um, I was listening to another podcast this week where Henry Cloud, who's great at relationships and people and all that, he talked about how he meets single people, and they're like, why am I not meeting the one? And he's like, well, you're always at the same group of people to go to that same group of people to go to work. You need to increase your numbers. Go meet more people. Like, they may not be your people, but go meet more people. And that's how it also works with Jonathans. Like, I may not have my Jonathan, so I need to go meet some more people. Or maybe I do have a great person next door, and I've only kept it at level one. Let's, let's try level two. Let's see if that friendship might go somewhere. So it's like you are a loved person. God loves you dearly, and he wants you to have these Jonathans. So don't be afraid to look out and find them, and then to go, mm, not that person, because um, that might happen, all right? So I just hope that this week we can live in such a loved place that God will give us more love through the people that we encounter. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for what you have to say about us. Um, We thank you so much for the example of David and Jonathan and that selfless love. Um, And Lord, just to see that how Jonathan's encouragement and affirmation of David shaped David into the king that he was and into the man who could serve you and impact eternity by being in that line to where Jesus come from. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would be with the people in this room. And for those who have their Jonathans, that you would just continue to give them their identity in you so they can continue to pour more in. Um, Lord, for the lonely people here, I ask that you would show them more people and increase their numbers and help them to have the bravery to go from level one to two to three to four. Um, Lord, may we be a people who live so confidently in your love that we aren't begging for scraps from others and that that will play out in our friendships. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.